Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arse Blog Arsecast right here on arseblog.com. I hope you're well. Well, why wouldn't you be well after what has been a fucking fantastic week since last we spoke? We beat Spurs in the North London Derby, we've signed a goalkeeper, and we paid £42.5 million for Mesut Ozil, one of the best footballers in the world. If you'd asked me this time last week, would that have happened? I'd have thought you were bonkers. Absolutely. And uh, it's just tremendous that the football club have have done this, have brought in a player of that quality, have brought in a guy who really changes everything for us. Uh, as Tim Stillman pointed out in his column for, for Arse Blog last night, this is the kind of signing uh, that we that we built the Emirates for. These are the kind of players that should be playing there. It's just uh, it's just brilliant. And he is a truly fantastic player. And I think it's right up there with the signings of Bergkamp, the signing of Saul Campbell even. I think, well, Campbell came into a great team. Bergkamp was the catalyst uh, to change things at Arsenal, where other players would come because Dennis Bergkamp was there. You're hoping other players will come because Santi Cazorla is there. It's just been a, a fantastic week. But rather than a normal sort of Arse cast this week, what I did was uh, get a Google Hangout together with uh, my friends uh, from the blogging world to discuss all the bits and pieces. And uh, I'm going to bring that to you now. Uh, that will be this week's Arse cast. It's about an hour of chat, uh, so you can get your ears through that. Some of it, it might be a bit dodgy and a bit weird because because, well, uh, there were some technical issues, as there always are with these Google Hangout things. Those are my fault. I can't blame any of the guys, unfortunately. Those are my fault. i got to figure it out a little bit better. But anyway, with no further ado, here's the Google Hangout, and uh, I'll talk to you on next week's Arscast, and we're going into an interlull, so things could get a bit quiet. But in the meantime, this should keep you going. Cheers. How we are. <laughs> Hello and welcome to another Arse Vlog Hangout Live, uh, a masterclass in uh, how to uh, how to carry these things off from a technical point of view. But I think we're live. Uh, hello to all of you watching. Hello to my guests, uh, Gunnar Hollick. Hello. Hello there, blogs. We have the man from East Lower. Hello. Uh, we have Gilberto Silver from Gunnar Blog. Hello. And Tim from Arse to Mouse. Hello. Hello. So, um... Obviously, there's stuff to talk about in terms of transfers, and it's been a very exciting week. Um, but I think perhaps glossed over in the excitement of that was the fact that uh, we had a big football game on, on Sunday. So I want to start with the North London derby and the fact that we cunted Spurs right in their bastard. Hollick, I want to start with you because uh, I got an email from a chap called Ian about unrelated matters. And at the very bottom of this email, I'm going to read it out here now. He says, uh, by the way, do you happen to know where Hollick might have been sitting on Sunday? My boy and I were just behind the academy seats near the tunnel and to the back and left of AVB. There was a bloke who looked and sounded very much like our favorite drink sharer shouting, Oi, Andre, how much did he cost? At very frequent intervals to the obvious embarrassment of Lewis Holtby et al. Does that sound familiar in any way? Uh, it may do. You've sprung that one on me, haven't you? If, if, if the steward is looking, no, that wasn't me. Right. It was even more amusing when Jermaine Defoe came on and I was able to share with Andre the fact that actually he's never paid anything for him and he was worth every penny. Well, look, let's, let's talk a little bit about the game because obviously there was... Um, a big difference between the way the two teams went into it. A man from East Lower, uh, Tottenham spent a lot of money. We, at that point, hadn't spent anything. Um, but perhaps that fact worked in our favour. Well, yeah. I mean, I was a little bit worried before, as probably a few people were, that um, you know all this fresh blood might uh, tip the balance. But actually, it was, as you say. I think the, the solidity we showed was great, and I think we played as a you know, really a, a, a strong unit, really played very well, actually. And um, uh, and actually Spurs looked a bit like a side that had five new signings in its lineup. So um, uh, we, I'm just so pleased with the way we played. It was, you know, really the, the crowd fed off, the, fed off the team and the team fed off the crowd. It was a, a really great performance. Even though it was only 1-0, it was completely merited. Uh, Tim, what did you make of the performance? Um it was reminiscent a bit of last season, wasn't it, in the in the way that we went ahead reasonably early in the game and then hung on uh, towards the end, even though they weren't necessarily that threatening throughout. We did have to hang on a bit towards the end. 
Yeah, I think the template in, in in a lot of the better performances last year, and especially during that run, was was to be quite aggressive early on, get a goal, and I think then kind of really focus on on sort of shape and, and being disciplined, and then taking opportunities as they came. And I actually thought in the second half that had had our decision making been a little bit better on a couple of occasions, and Lloris made a couple of really good interventions as well, then we might have run out. 3 nil, 3 nil winners, and it not really been flattering. I mean, equally, you can you can point a bit of the head tennis towards the end and say that one of those goes in, and the narrative's really different, and we maybe came away a bit deflated. And you know, that's football, so I don't know if I'll, there's not much point in me expanding on the existentialism of luck. Uh, I'll probably <laughs> I'll go on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what everyone tuned in for, right? I'll, I'll go straight, <laughs> straight into that. But um, yeah, really, really pleasing. Um, I'm sure we'll come on to the, the transfer stuff later, but like, like, like I said, if we'd have been a bit more clinical with some of the decisions we made on those quick breaks, I think we would have been even more convincing winners. And going into the game, I did actually feel quite confident, which is which is rare for me, for the reason that pretty much everyone said that that our, that our team, by by nature of what the injuries we've had, has to be very settled because we have a, a limited number of options there, but good options and, and guys who really understand each other. And the thing that really, the really surprised me because I think a lot of us have been if not down on the Flamini signing a little underwhelmed by it but seeing him with Riziki they seem to it, you're reminded that with things like sport when you know someone's game inside out you kind of don't forget it and they just seem to slot like immediately back into each other's pattern of play and I think that that could look a really canny move when added to now the other stuff. Gilberto Silver, since the opening defa- day defeat to, to Villa, which was uh, demoralizing and I think, you know, almost a perfect storm of terribleness given uh, the way the summer had gone up to that point, the team has responded really brilliantly. Um, mm. Arsene Wenger, you know, we know, speaks often about the faith that he has in the players and, and the team itself. And um, at the same time, while well, you can see where he's coming from, sometimes you need them to prove that. Uh, and they've done it. Yeah, they have. I mean, they clearly felt embattled after that first game, and I think that there was uh, it, th- there's a great spirit in the squad, uh, probably the best that we've ever seen. And if you look at a lot of the players who've left this summer, it's guys uh, like Andrea Sharvin, uh, people who maybe their application could sometimes be questioned on the field. And I don't think there's a single player in this team now who you could say that of. Um, there's nobody in that side who the fans regularly get on their back. I think we're all sure that the team we put out will have a. We might have problems with squad depth, things like that. But in terms of commitment, application, work rate, everything is there, and that was really evident in this victory over Spurs. You know, obviously having gone ahead. Sorry, was that my fault? I don't know. Everything went a bit blank. <laughs> Sorry. We've still lost Tim. He's a little bit grey on my screen. Carry on. Someone's erased him. Oh, we've lost James now as well. Hello. Is he there? All right, Holly, you you take over and talk a little bit about the team. Uh, In terms of Sunday, I... No, just in terms of the way they've responded to to the... the, Oh, the the opening day, it just, yeah, it's... Um, it was a one-off blip. If you look at the way they ended last season, you look at the way they've come on since losing to Villa, you then look back at the Villa game and say, well, all that stuff about, well, the referee's performance, you can't blame the referee when you've lost and all that sort of stuff. It did actually have, seems to have had, with the benefit of hindsight, a a game-changing... His performance was game-changing, um, we didn't play well, there's no doubt about it. We didn't come out of the blocks on the day. And I've lost Andrew. Are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, sorry. We uh, yeah, didn't get out of the blocks on the day, didn't play with the same intensity that we've been playing with. But when you look at what's followed after that, you went away to uh, Turkey worrying really what was going to happen out there against what was supposedly the toughest of the draws in the qualifier for the Champions League. Did a thoroughly professional job out there and they've done it by... In many ways, the midfield is working better than you could ever have hoped for in a midfield that's lacking Mikel Arteta because Aaron Ramsey has come in and done a first-class job, absolutely first-class job. And, of course, alongside him, Santi Cazorla, who is supposed to be weary after a, a long, hard summer, he's playing better than ever. So those two in particular 
have dragged us away from whatever happened on that opening day against Villa. Mm. Uh, Ramsey perhaps is a, a man from East Lower. He's, he's somebody who um, maybe epitomizes what the, what the team is about. They've sort of turned it around. Um, you know, it's not to say everything in the, in the garden is perfect, obviously, but given the fact that we went out of two cup competitions um, last season and then went on this uh, great run towards the end of the season, Aaron Ramsey, you know, the tide uh, turned against him and he's he's turned it back. Oh, totally. I mean, there was a time when he was one of the, you know, the boo boys. And um, I think maybe everyone, I mean, it's easy to say now because he's playing so well, but maybe a, a bit quick to judge given the injury he had and the age, his age as well. He's very young. Um, but this season, he's been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, he's, you know, never gives up on anything. He's got great tenacity. Um, and um, he, yeah, he's just playing superbly well. Uh, and it's a joy to see because, you know, you never want um, anything other than a player to do well. And uh, I think it really has turned, as you say, from from people kind of sniping a little bit when, when a side a pass goes awry. He's now um, he's getting a, a lot of support and, and, and that's just great to see. Great football he's playing. Gilberto Silva, are you there? I'm very much here. Yeah. Excellent. This is good. I have to apologize to um, to everybody who's watching because normally when we do these things, uh, the image cuts to whoever is talking. And unfortunately for everyone, it's just me on screen. So I apologize <laughs> profusely for that. I don't you quite know how and, uh, to fix it. If you could just lip sync along. <laughs> well, look, let's, let's move on then and, and talk a little bit about what happened then on transfer deadline day um i think there was a bit of expectation i'll, I'll stick with usual Berto silver there was some expectation that that something was was going to happen arson wenger uh, had a bit of a smile on him when he spoke about uh what might happen after the game against Tottenham. we might have a little bit of a surprise for you and then there was this talk of ozil coming and it seemed a little bit too good to be true, I have to say, given the way the summer had gone and we hadn't spent a penny, a couple of free signings in. Um, to bring a guy of this caliber in has just been staggering. It's an amazing signing, and the same as you. When I first heard about it, I just thought it seemed far too good to be true. didn't seem like I thought it was going to be another one of these, well, we tried stories. Um, but it sounds like, reading what we've read in the last couple of days, that by that point the deal was pretty far advanced over Friday and Saturday it sort of it mainly moved forward tied up on sort of Sunday and Monday and it's an incredible signing the best I can remember for such a long time you know people talk about the impact that Dennis Burkamp's arrival had uh, but when Dennis Burkamp arrived you know he was going through a tough time at Inter uh, you know Cesc said I think yesterday that Ozil's Madrid's second best player that we've taken from Madrid you know to London and admittedly it's because they feel they can let him go but I wonder if they'll come to regret it he's a phenomenal player and I can't wait to see him in an Arsenal shirt man for me Laura your thoughts because I mean it is it is just a groundbreaking record-breaking just a non Arsenal transfer in a way because even when we've spent big, it hasn't. You know, it's by by our own standards. It's sort of 15 million, maybe 16 million for Reyes. Um, but you know, we we we've gone out and paid the second highest transfer fee in in English football history. It's the most money that uh, Real Madrid have ever received for a transfer. Um, it, it takes us into a new dimension. Yeah, it it totally does. And if you think, you know, that up until now, Arshavin, 15 million and. And you could maybe say Reyes was around that amount and um, perhaps Wiltord as well. But, you know, most clubs, or I say most, but, you know, the clubs like Southampton are now spending 12, 13, 14, 15 million pounds on players. So um, it's long overdue that we've started to flex our financial muscles. And uh, just to blow it out of the water so spectacularly is, is a great big statement. And we, you know, he's top of top of he's top of the game already. He's top of his game. He's he's only 24. He's genuinely world class. But I think it does a hell of a lot off the pitch, um, as we will probably discover in the next few weeks. Um, uh, and obviously, it, it ought to have an effect on it as well. It's it's a, it's a really big move and probably the biggest, certainly the biggest since the, we moved to the new stadium, which you know had hampered us for a while. Um, we'd been told that many times. And uh, let's hope it's a, you know, the first of many rather than a sort of bizarre one-off. But um, yeah, sorry, by, by on. off the pitch, do you mean sort of in terms of shirt sales or putting bums back on seats? I think everything. I mean, I, I think um, the shirt sales is, is one thing. I'm sure that's kind of gone through the roof and I've seen a few things on Twitter. I don't know how 
true they are, but um, about you know, the you know, shirts are flying off the shelf. But just the perception of Arsenal, what you know, for, for players who want maybe in, in the future we want to sign, they'll say, look, they've got Özil. And for um, opposition teams, just and, and just so the it sort of says a statement about where Arsenal are now, and uh, and you know, um, it's it's a really really exciting on that on that basis as well as uh, as well as his talent. It's, it just says a lot, I think. Hollick, they've tried to spend money all summer but haven't been able to do it for various reasons and have chosen not to do it in certain circumstances. Um, they were misguided and, and, and misled, I guess, when it comes to, to Luis Suarez. Um, had you sort of given up hope of them making the signing that we all wanted them to make this summer? Oh, I wish you hadn't asked me that. I've been grinning ever since Sunday because no, I'm, I'm not now... trying to take it down. But no, I... no, no, no. I understand. I'm, uh, I'm definitely back in the glass half full camp now. But yes, I had this. I actually wrote. I had the discussion with people on Sunday before the game about. I really didn't know whether how I was going to be watching Arsenal next year. Whether I'd choose to go to away games, whether I'd watch the home ones on television. The, the three months of not nailing somebody, I think, had worn a lot of people down. I still understand when people say, I don't think we've done enough business. But while I understand it, I think what happened on Monday is such a sea change in what we've seen in recent years. And it finally, you can see the results of building that bloody great stadium there and now getting the benefit of it. So, yes, in answer to your question beforehand, I was very, very disappointed that we hadn't done more. But that one transfer on Monday, although it's not enough, in my opinion, on its own to make us competitive, I think we'll need to do more business in January. I think the message it sends out the football in a wider sense to agents, to other top players, is that no longer can you not consider Arsenal an option because they won't pay the money. We will, and we've proven it. Mm, Tim, I listened to your podcast, your Deadline Day podcast, and um, you know I sensed um, all the emotions that, that came from you, the giddy enthusiasm of a child when it really looked like the Ozil thing was, was happening, and then this fear kind of crept in a little bit because it was getting late at night. and. Um, Overall, your thoughts on bringing this guy in and, and what he might bring to the team? I was just listening to, to Hollick talking then, and I don't think, despite being, in case my bosses are listening, very busy at work, I don't think I've stopped thinking about Mets at Urzo. It's not, it's not often I think this much about another 24-year-old man. Like I don't normally, that's not normally what fills my brain, but I just keep thinking about the guy and, and how he might play and how we'll, how we'll line up. And I don't know, like, sea change, I mean, it's... It's almost not big enough. Like, it, I don't think it's really sunk in yet. Like, what a big deal this is—not just in in fiscal terms, but when you try and think about world-class superstar. I hate the phrase world-class. When you try and think about sort of global superstars who've joined the Premier League when they've been in their prime and when their stock's been really high, it's, you're really talking about kind of about ten players, and you put guys like maybe Aguero and uh, and Veron in there. But like, even they weren't coming from a club like Madrid, you know, like which which is absolutely the you know, players walk like I said before. Players walk over coals to get to Madrid, don't they? So you can understand why he might be a bit. He hasn't failed there. Like you saw Sash saying, he was their second best player. But to take a guy like that from a club like that for that sort of price at this age, like it's almost unheard of in the league. And for it to be us doing that, it, it, it's no wonder everyone keeps saying I can't stop grinning and laughing because it is funny. Like it's funny. Like Arsenal's gone from the ridiculous, which is how it has been for most of the summer, to genuinely the sublime. Like I think if all of us had been given a Brendan Rodgers-style envelope at the start of the season and, and put like five players that would be our dream signings in there, I bet Otzel would have been on, on a load of our, our uh, envelopes. So, and the, the transformational effect, even though you, the, other, the other players we've brought in, Flamini I'm really pleased with, the keeper maybe can do a job I've, I've genuinely never seen him play. Um, but the transformational effect in the mood of the fans, and that, that seems almost like a kind of ridiculous thing to worry about, but it's not a ridiculous thing to worry about because the fans, the club is three things, isn't it? It's the, it's the, it's the, the, the management, the, the players and the fans. And I felt like the fans and the players side of it had been being let down by the management side of it. And, and in one move... It's too much to say they've, you know, every every kind of concern you might have about Arsenal has been washed away. But certainly, almost all the bad feelings have been washed away for me, anyway. 
Gilberto Silva, do you think there was a, a change of tack given that they couldn't bring in the star striker that they really wanted because we, we saw the pursuits of Suarez, the pursuit of Higuain, you know, there was talk of Rooney, um, and all the others had gone at that point, the Jovetic, the, the Cavani, the Falcaz, had all gone, so there wasn't really an obvious super target when it comes to to uh, to signing a striker. So how do, how then do you make that statement? You've got to change perhaps the way that you want to to improve your team. And he's looked at who's available and obviously the way things have moved across Europe with Bale, uh, with the way that Madrid have, have needed money uh, uh, because they've paid so much for, for Bale. Um, in a way, I know it's not... It's different from the Flamini thing because he was sort of under our noses. But again, it was perhaps a bit opportunistic. I've seen people say this was a great plan by Arsene Wenger where he sold Gervinho to Roma and Lamella then goes to Spurs and then uh, Bale goes to Madrid and he can get Ozil. I mean, that's fucking brilliant dominoes if you're trying to do that. But I don't think that's what happened. No, I agree wholeheartedly. I think it was opportunistic. Um, I think that it was a kind of perfect storm of circumstance that enabled us to get Ozil. I don't think ordinarily... You can buy that kind of player. I think that, you know, there were a sort of happy series of events that enabled him to become on the market. And we, fortunately, were in a position whereby financially we could do it. We could take him. I'm not sure how many other clubs had that luxury at that point in the window. And when a player like that does come up, you have to, you have to take them. Uh, you know, I think you can question the signing from a football point of view. You can say, oh, is it where Arsenal needed to spend money most? Is it, is it you know, what the squad was crying out for most? But you can't question it from any other perspective in terms of what it does for the club. Uh, I think that the entire mood around the place has lifted dramatically. And I think Wenger and Gazidis knew that they'd backed themselves into something of a corner by their statement. Gazidis, particularly earlier in the summer, saying, we can do things that can excite you. We can buy a £25 million player. We can pay two hundred grand a week. I think there was a pressure to bring in a marquee name. And I do think that there's a degree of fortune that one as good as Mesut Ozil became available at a stage where we had run out of other options. So there is definitely a bit of a happy accident to it, um, but you won't find any Arsenal fans complaining about that. No, I don't think so. Man, for me, slower. I mean, the, there is the, you know, the, I think we've been dealing quite a lot maybe this summer in in what ifs and and worst case scenarios and and and. It's kind of easy to do that when, when things aren't going as well as you'd like them to. What if this happens? What if that happens? If that guy gets an injury, then we've only got this, this, and this, you know. Um, but I think they would have been in fairly serious trouble um, had they not made the Ozil signing. Yeah, I th uh, it's a kind of interesting hypothetical situation because... Um, yeah, the the Villa game was a sort of was a, a good indicator that it, you know even a small change of fortune and you know some people say we didn't really deserve to lose that game but nevertheless you know it it, it was kind of the, all this pent up anger and frustration came kind of raining down from the stand and uh, and you know, many people have said that you know we were until we bought somebody of substance that we were only really ever one goal away from a crisis and from from a bad atmosphere and I, and I really do think that uh, that this has completely changed that and I, I just don't think we're going to see that I don't think we're going to see it you know I mean unless unless results on the pitch go completely south then I, I just don't think we're going to see it like it's been completely on edge for ages and I don't think we're going to see that again for a while <laughs> for a while but um uh, yeah, and also interesting, I suppose, if you think about it, because you know, Wenger's had a lot of brickbats thrown at him, and uh, many of them justified, in my view. But um, I reckon this is—he's um, yeah, come out of it looking absolutely fantastic, and you know, just the, all the kind of talk of talk of him, the way he kind of rang him up, and Urza was swayed by his stature, and all this kind of stuff, and the sort of cheeky grin on his face when he was asked on Match of the Day, all that kind of stuff. And I think you know, suddenly that, that sort of transformed as well a bit, hasn't it? Hollick, um, I mean, guys, feel free to just chip in if you have something to say as well. So, you know, even do, do you I'm, think this is what he always had in the back of his mind when he kept mentioning super quality? He was he was thinking it's just I I, I simply won't buy below this level because I kind of don't. I, I think the happy accident thing is the right way to describe. Do you want my interpretation on things? I think when we were talking to Madrid at first, we were talking to Madrid about Benzema and Di Maria. I think Madrid were perfectly happy for those two to go. I think it was a similar amount of money. I think those two players refused to move. 
and Ozil became the default option. And I'm absolutely delighted that it has. But I think for him, he had to be persuaded, A, to come to us, and B, he had to be persuaded that he wasn't going to play every week for Madrid in a, in a World Cup year. And whether it was accident or not, I am so pleased it happened. I mean, one of the things I would say is if it was part of a plan, it's very odd that Mesut yeah. Ozil told a press conference on Wednesday he'd be staying yeah. in Madrid. Yeah. You know, it's clear that things move very fast. As soon as he got wind of the fact that Real were prepared to sell him, he was clearly, I think, gutted about that, hurt by that, and, you know, felt that he had to move on. And we are the lucky beneficiaries, and I'm delighted about it. And when I hear people say, oh, I don't understand why he's going there, you know, why is he going there? That just makes me happier because he is that good. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I'm like, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want players who they're like, oh, that's a nice cushy move for him. I can see he's an Arsenal each. player. That's it, yeah. I want have players have you seen this, too good. Have you seen this narrative that United didn't need him? I mean, they were, try, they were trying to spend the whole summer chasing around after Cesc Fabregas. Like, stop me if I'm wrong, but they're both like assist machines who can play kind of number 10. I'm not sure, have they seen Cesc Fabregas play? Because he ain't, he ain't your De Rossi, Herrera, all action type, is he? He's, a, he's certainly not Fellaini. No, mm. he's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean the I most think, interesting think, thing about it for me is that once we have players fit, and we have somebody who can play on the left side of the attack rather than Santi Cazorla, is I wonder if tactically we change, because at the moment the midfield three is kind of a couple sitting with one player more advanced, and I wonder whether we might drop to one defensive-minded of of those three and play Cazorla and Ozil in attacking roles. We're going to scare people, whether we leak goals, I don't know. But it's an exciting prospect and another option that's now on the table. It's one of the questions that I've asked for questions on Twitter. A number of people have, have brought this up, like where where exactly does he fit in in the team? And I think it's, uh, you know, um, he is the guy, he's the apex of that midfield trio, right? Yeah. I think maybe uh, the, question, yes. the question is, where does the team fit in around him? Because he's, yeah, well, uh, he's going to be, let's be honest, he's going to, he's been the kind of kind of player you build your team around, really. Mm. That, that's surely the aim, isn't it? Uh, I can't see any other way it's going to happen. Um, but um, do, yeah, do you guys, I, I think, do you guys I see Cazorla, it? Cazorla will probably stay on the left, I think. Because mm. well. will probably stay on the left. He plays really well out on the left. So, um, do, do you uh, think that means Jack and Ramsey go into one position and Flamini and Arteta go into one position? Because that's, yeah, that's interesting for Wiltshire if he's getting less games, isn't it? I mean, I think he probably should get less games because he's he's fairly fragile. But whether on he... current form, certainly. But let's not forget, he's he's going to develop. He's going to get stronger again. He's still going to be some player. But yes, on current form, you wouldn't play him ahead of Aaron Ramsey, for example. Mm. No. And you look I, I at. Did... Sorry, Jan. Go on. I was just saying, I don't think that's anything to worry about. You know, we've all worried about Jack getting overplayed, and if Aaron Ramsey's playing well enough that we can afford to leave Jack out now and again, then. I don't think that's a bad thing by any stretch of the imagination. Great problem to have. Thomas Rosicki to take into the into the equation as well. And I think when you look at the midfield options with Arteta back, you know, Arteta, Wilshire, Ramsey, Rosicki, Urzel, uh, Cazorla, that's tasty. That's really fucking tasty. There can't and be that many better midfields in the league, can there? No. Only Chelsea can come close. And guys, we haven't even mentioned Frimpong. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we bother mentioning Frim Pong? Why why is he still here? Someone explain to me. Why is he here and Cochrane, who other people like, isn't? And I I, I honestly don't get it. Let's guess he's injured. He's injured. Well, he was going to go somewhere. He posted this mad video on um, on Deadline Day on Instagram. (laughs) It was him of course driving down a motorway, filming himself driving, or maybe there was somebody else driving. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's just there to hug people and stuff. I don't know. Well, I think you could keep one guy like that around just to, go and, just to go and clean people out in the last five minutes. Just send him on once, destroy someone you need destroying, and then suck up the three-game ban. Like he's All set up for the first Man City game, You've isn't it? You've got Flamini who's better at it. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I wanted to ask was that the summer, uh, if we accept that it was difficult from an Arsenal point of view, um, and I don't know that too many. Everybody else has gone quiet on my screen. We're all we're all on our own. Dad's left us. <laughs> um, I think 
I've, I've only lost Andrew. He's frozen. Oh, no. Oh, he's back. He's back. Am I back? Yeah, you're back. <laughs> All right. Well, look, it was a really fucking good question. Really. But it, was about the, it was about the transfer market in general. And it was right. about, is there perhaps something to be said that it's, it's a bit more difficult than we think it is? Because we bemoan the fact that clubs don't, don't make transfers and haven't done this and haven't done that. And you look at the struggles of Manchester United, and they have bizarre lawyers running around, you know, trying to sign the guy from from Bilbao. Um, maybe the the transfer market is more difficult when you're trying to operate in a certain way. And you look at Manchester City, who've done well, and they've got this structure there, this this sort of a sporting director. You know, the, is that you know something that we we've been missing? It was it's a, a valid point, actually, and one that Tim, uh, oh, young Tim, who writes for you, Andrew, has written on your site Hillman. tonight. Yeah, exactly. Who has written tonight about the fact that this is probably the first major deal in signing Ozil that has been done by Gazidis, Law and Wenger as a trio. Regardless of who did what, this was a deal that we needed to do in order to get our name out there. Yes, of course it's bloody well difficult because you've got umpteen agents involved around whoever wants to shift who and you have to work out which club is going to pay who, are they going to agree to it. it? Yes, it's complicated. Now that we've got one over the door, hopefully the people who are in football now won't be afraid to come and talk to either Gazidis Law or Arsene, whoever it is who does what. Tim, you wanted to get in there? Yeah, there was a good, there was a good piece on the Guardian by I think uh, Raphael Honigsheimer. He was talking about how, like in Germany, they just they just view how it goes on in Britain with utter like incredulity because they've done almost all their business like midway through the through the window certainly before the season starts. And then in, in the final days, there's like the odd kind of small loan move go through. But, but that's it. There's none of this kind of, you know, trolley dash or last minute panic, or, you know, b between us and United, trying to get deals like that over the line on the last day. I mean, Neville made that comment, which I think is reasonable. Where he said, if you want to see the clubs which are badly run, just watch what they do during the transfer window and, and especially at the end. And I don't know, like it's it's easy without wanting to seem like doomy Mary over here. It's easy to envisage a situation where that Oates deal fell apart or went a bit went a bit queer towards the end. And could you imagine, like we would be in bizarro land here, and all this joy would be fury and inquests and what's what's to be done about what's to be done about Arsenal Football Club. And that's how how fine the line is. And I don't really buy that. I don't really buy that thing of we didn't go into the window with a plan. I do think we had a plan, and the plan was it seems fairly clearly, to buy a, a good striker in Gonzalo Higuain and a, and a good defensive midfielder in, defensive midfielder in um, probably Lars Bender. The fact we've come out of it with Flamini and Ertzel is, is wonderful. But if you said to me, this has gone brilliantly, let's do the same next year, I'd say you're fucking insane. I don't know if we're allowed to swear on this thing, but you would be <laughs> fucking insane to have that as your, as your main plan, right? So I, what I would hope is the lessons they've learned are not, hey, this works, let's, let's do more of this, but but that I think we, everyone here, well, I suspect would agree that Ozil can't be the end of this. It can't be like a thing done once to kind of placate a very angry fan base. It has to be what Gazidis said, which was that we are now in a different place and can operate differently. And no one's saying they would need they need to go out every single window and spaff 40 million quid on, on whoever they can find. But you only have to think that if we had used some of that extra money to, to bring in another couple of players, we would all be quite confidently, I think, or at least wondering about being title contenders, I think. Which proves the point of the question. It's difficult. Mm. Well, it is It is difficult, and maybe so, you know, we, we make it a bit more difficult for ourselves by the way that we're set up to do business. Um, but in terms of the squad itself, Gilberto Silver, um, what do you think about the 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 overall makeup of it are we how many players short do you think we are because i look at the squad now and i think midfield is nice i think we can cope um defensively uh, i would have liked the center half but with ramalin coming back we've got sanya who, who can go in there we're well covered up fullback if i was to be picky you know i'd want another striker in the team because i don't know that we've got any option beyond Giroud at this moment in time barcenogo who who i think is is going to struggle initially to make the leap uh, that he's made so i really think you know just pretty much one player while i would have taken another couple i think on the face of it we're really just lacking that one option i think uh one striker would dramatically 
improve the squad as a whole uh, at this point. I'd say that I think we're actually probably maybe three players short still. Um, prior to the Ozil signing, I felt the club needed to bring in sort of three or four still. Uh, and that's probably excluding the goalkeeper. Um, so as delighted as I am about Ozil, and I really am, and I can't stress that enough, I do think that we are light. I do think that we'll get by in defence, but why should a club with our resources be in a position where getting by is, is what we have to do? Similarly, if Giroud stays fit, we'll probably be fine, but it's an if, and why take that risk? Uh, and I also think we might be a little bit like wide, just with Podolsky and Chamberlain both having sort of medium-term injuries. Um, I think Nabry or Miachi is going to get game time, and we don't yet know, but we'll soon find out. <laughs> Man, for me, sorry, your thoughts on the squad overall? I mean, we, we're looking at um, we're looking at having competition for places, and we see the goalkeeper has come in. I don't know a great deal about him, um, other than he, he looks scarily like Manuel Almunia. He, he does have a slightly uh, vacant look in his eyes. He does he? those those really sad eyes. You know, he's <laughs> like an old an old pug sitting by oh. the body of his dead master. But um, the just having those players in place can can make a difference whether or not they they play you know we look at what happened with with Chesney and um you know so far this season apart from a, a couple of a couple of hairy moments against Villa he's been very good yeah i am kind of with i'm coming with you on your uh, on your point of view that i think defensively we're okay um, cuz Sanya can play center half as well and i think midfield we obviously well stocked uh, and i'm a bit worried about up front because I mean, you could, maybe Wenger would argue, you could put Walcott up there and you can put uh, this man up there. Don't forget him. But, um, and you've got, yeah, Senogo. Uh, I mean, ultimately, they're not really options, are they? So, uh, I mean, they are in, in, in desperate in desperation. Do you see Bender as an option, realistically, at any point? Or would um, the circumstances have to be terrible? No, I don't think. Do you know what? I think if he was genuinely fit and, and if his mind was in the right place, which are two of the most enormous ifs you, you've ever heard in your life, then um, I, I mean, I can I can see it happening, but not not. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, if, if Giroud gets out injured for a couple of months, then I mean, it could happen. <laughs> Sorry to you kind of approach the end and say something so horrifying as that. But it, hang it, on, guys, we are forgetting there is an option here because if we've got one or two other players fit again, you also have the Theo into the middle option. Yeah, well, that which I mean, may not be the best alternative from uh, an, uh, from uh, he's not a centre forward point of view, but given the options, it keeps him happy for a while. And is he really going to be worse than the Paddy Power Pants man or the lad who might well be a player but isn't at the moment? The positive is a question. Go the on, positive Tim. is we have to get through to January, isn't it? It's not like we're now committed to an entire season. We've, we're committed to half a season with Giroud needing to stay fit. And to be fair to Giroud, he did stay fit almost all of, of last year. And hopefully that doesn't have any sort of detrimental effect this year. The, the thing that would nag in my back in my mind is Arteta stayed fit for almost all of last year when we really needed him to and he's already kind of broken down this one so you can't you can't judge based back on past experience but you have to think given the bar thing that they would go back into the market in in January now what kind yeah. of what kind of striker you get then I don't know but I, I don't think any of us are looking for necessarily someone to be better than Giroud which is why the bar thing sort of made sense didn't it even on a Mm. On a one-year loan, that what didn't make sense was ever picking up the phone to King Shit down at the bridge because he was always probably going to do what he did do. Mm. You, you think now, perhaps, um, maybe last January when we were after David Villa, what price is David Villa now in your squad? You know, yeah. somebody who gave you that something different, you know, depth and experience and and what have you. But are we perhaps too? I think it's inevitable that Arsenal fans will worry about players being out injured because our players get injured quite a lot. But if you look at other teams, for example, they don't, you know, maybe they don't pick up the same amount of injuries or or maybe that's just our perception of it. You know, you look at Barcelona, Messi plays nearly all the games. Our Barcelona without Messi, nowhere near as good, you know? Last two months of last season, they were very much not as good because they were wheeling him out when they could, absolutely and utterly broken. Um, yeah. You saw what happened when they did it. 
so yeah we are all praying that Giroud stays fit now that's an absolute certainty but yeah. the big yeah. difference now that, that they've the, the, or the, the problem we fixed because you had all these people didn't you saying Arsenal don't need Ozil but if anything serious had happened to Cazorla we were proper proper fucked in terms of that sort of creative wizard mm. role and now we've got a, a pair of creative wizards so seeing seeing what that that there's that sense isn't there that Ozil could potentially improve the players around him like all of the players around him he's that good I, I think so that's going to be pretty exciting to to see over the next couple of games, which are against Sunderland and Stoke, two of the biggest sets of shit kickers around. So mm. <laughs> it's interesting. Some people have mentioned on Twitter that you know the the, the formation that we play w- was set up to accommodate Cesc Fabregas, and we haven't ever replaced him really since he left. And the creativity that he brought to the side, man from East Lower, was uh, was quite unique. And I think in his absence, Robin van Persie's quality was able to. Uh, to make up for it a little bit. You know, he was able to paper over the cracks, perhaps, because he was a guy who could get you a goal out of nothing. Um, but now with with Ozil in the team, uh, and Cazorla, I think probably Ozil is, is a more creative, more incisive passer than than Cazorla. Um, he, he's he's looked to make up for that. Yeah, and also there's also the Wilshire thing is he 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 um, I think given a good run and and no injuries also has the potential for that kind of creativity. But I don't think we've really seen enough of it because he's been in and out so much. But um, yeah, I, th- I think we did miss Fabregas's creativity. And uh, you know there've been so many times over the last couple of years where we've been um, sort of parked on the edge of the box, not quite sure what to do. And um, and that's exactly the kind of person you need to sort of pick a pocket, isn't it? So I'm just so excited to see. Him and Cazorla and you know and all of those guys. If um, if if that's the thing that makes a difference, then then Wenger's a genius. Shall I tell you the other thing that excites me about the Özil thing is that we saw in the tour while we were still struggling around to find players from somewhere, a 16-year-old kid in midfield who is obviously a footballer in the making. Whether he goes the whole way, who knows? But that Gideon, Gideon Zellalem is a wonderful passer at a ball, very creative, sees things that you wouldn't expect 16-year-olds to see. And is there anybody better for him to work with on the training ground than Ozil? It's a really good might, point. Yeah, we might not see a great deal of him in the first team this season, but working with Ozil, he's the future of Arsenal. I mean, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because Fabregas came into a team when he was 16 years of age and he didn't, you know, one of the things that always struck me as a bit uh, difficult when Wenger was trying to get his his youth project, uh, as it were, off the ground was he put a whole load of youths together and there wasn't necessarily enough experience. Fabregas came into a team with Henri and Vieira and Bergkamp and Pires and Edu and Gilberto Silver and all these guys. So it was much... I won't say it was easy for him to develop, but it was a it was a much more educational uh, uh, situation for him to be in than it was for some of the other young players who came through and got to a certain level and then just weren't able to kick on for whatever reason because it's very difficult. You do need experience in football teams and you need as young players somebody to tell you what you're doing wrong as much as what you're doing That's right. Always, it's good to see the talk of um, potential new deals coming for maybe Murtasaka, Sanya and Riziki because they seem like three guys who over the, over the last certainly the second half of last season have become like really key parts of the team but also like really model pros as well that, that if you've got these these youths coming through then who better to learn from them than, than dudes like that Gilberto mm. uh, Silver now that you're back in the room I want to touch on Per Mertesacker because he has been um, he has been outstanding and he gets I think he's you know he's not fashionable you know people kind of take the mick because he's a bit tall and a bit slow and for a big guy you know he's he's not very good in the air but i mean that's normal because giraffes don't tr- jump right they're very tall but they don't jump very well um, other animals are much better at jumping smaller ones like uh fruit bats and all that kind of i don't know those they're much better so i think that's an unfair criticism but you know you look at the you look at the uh, the the gif that went around or is it gif gif who cares who cares um that set up the goal on Sunday, and the ball came through, the Tottenham fella pushed it too far ahead of him, Murtisacker just sticks out a leg, and then it's like, oh yeah, the ball's there as well, I'll pass it on. I mean, he's been fucking brilliant. 
I agree. And, you know, as you say, evolution works on a basis of necessity. It doesn't need to be quick. It doesn't need to be in the air. <laughs> uh, one of the reasons is that he's got Lauren Koscielny next to him, who's absolutely lightning. Uh, but also, he reads the game brilliantly. He's a very clean tackler. He's got a great disciplinary record, and that's because he takes the ball cleanly 90% of the time. Um, and also, he's a tremendous leader. And we heard lots of stories when he first came to the club about how important a role he played in the dressing room. And I think now he's out there wearing that armband. We're seeing that on the pitch as well. You know, there was another one of these GIF GIF type things of him, you know, remonstrating with uh, uh, with Yaya Sonogo in the in the wall the oh, other day. Amazing that one. Um, Sonogo had his hand up, you know, to protect his face. Mertesacker just pulls it down straight away. And I think, you know, it's important to have these figures. And I do think that he's one of the more senior players. And you know, with the German core that we're now building building in the squad, you know, Nabri and Zellerlem both in the first team squad now as well. He's going to become an increasingly uh, important member of the team. Uh, man from East Lower, uh, Matthew Flamini. Um, I suppose you know, and I'll be—I'll hold my hands up and say I was guilty of this. That is, is kind of an easy signing to to take the mick out of uh, the, towards the end of a summer where where you know you're frustrated that the club haven't se- uh, spent any money. But um, thank fuck we got him for a start because when you think you know when Wilshire had to go off with the splats on on Sunday. Um, <laughs> Jesus you know what he did yeah, the splats um, when he went off we didn't really have much else other than uh, Gideon Zellalem and, and there was an interview with him today on Arsenal.com and uh, he was talking about how there's players he still knows around like Rosicki like like Sanya uh, and he, he mentioned quite strongly the, the team spirit that was there um, and perhaps that is sort of something that's been born out of adversity a little bit when we look at what happened at the end of last season and the criticism. They're not they're not stupid. They're aware of what's being said about them and what's being said about the manager and the team and their prospects. You know, it was an interesting point to make, I think. Yeah, it's, it is an interesting point to make. And, and um, he... he um he, he probably took a bit of persuading himself. I, I, I mean, I imagine he had lots of offers, but uh, he probably saw, you know, he, he probably felt the vibes when he was at the training ground. And what I love about Fleming is, is he, he gives everything every game. And you know, I, I, as soon as I saw him on the pitch, the way he runs and the way he just kind of thunders in, you suddenly think, oh, yeah, Fleming's back. It's fantastic. And, you know, it's been one of the criticisms of Arsenal over the last few years is sometimes we just haven't really had that sort of physical edge. And he, he'll definitely give us that uh yes yeah, so it may well may well be an easy signing for wenger but um you know on first on first uh, uh sight you know whatever it was half a game he played he looked really really good really good the thing about flamini is he's a really solid pro and he's a pure professional you might be able to ask questions about his affiliation for the club he's happy to move on when necessary left marseille on a free left us on a free i don't doubt he'll do it again but when he's out there you know, on the field, he does his job with absolute authority and absolute commitment, and that is a great thing to see. And of all this money Spurs spent, the best summer signing performance on Sunday was from Matthew Flamini. Uh, and I think we're, we're lucky that we've got him because we're definitely going to need him over the coming season. But you can say the same about any player as well, couldn't you? Mm. I mean, you know, any player that hasn't sort of grown up with an Arsenal duvet. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, for, uh, Flamini reminds me of Tevez in that respect. Like, I do think there's a mercenary element to him. But I can't question what he does on the field. I've got absolute respect for that. He's a great pro, and I think that that's a vital thing to have. Uh, Hollick, it's it's, it's often suggested we're a little bit of a quiet team at times. Um, Flamini came on and was pointing here and shouting there and remonstrating here, and there was a fantastic moment that that, um, we've seen where uh, there was was a big tackle where he threw himself into the ball and got booked, but shortly after that, he, he he charged in on Dembele, who played the ball backwards and then jumped up in the air, and Flamini had stopped and didn't actually get anywhere near him. You know, just to have that kind of presence in the team, we haven't been the most physical of teams. And maybe we've been, you know, at our best. Arsene Wenger's teams have always been at their best when there is a more physical edge to them. It was a fair old point to make, and on Sunday I thought it was, <laughs> having turned up at the game not wanting to see him, uh, his introduction was, I think, kind of pivotal in the end. As you say, he was when he came on, he got the crowd who were already behind the team. The first thing he did was sort of grab older people, hit the first Tottenham player he could hit, and he got the crowd up another level again. 
whether he's worth a start in place week in, week out, I somehow doubt. But I do hope that he's a great addition to the squad, and I hold my hands up the same as you. I didn't think that this time last week. Mm. But isn't it all about the squad now at this point because you know we we spoke about how how we all pretty much liked the team that we had and we liked the players that we had and and uh, it, it's now about having options and beyond the, the the striker issue that we've all touched on Tim we do have options in pretty much every position and one of you know when we speak about injuries why do we get injuries because we have to play certain players week in week out and injuries come from fatigue and from being tired or from mistiming a challenge or you know so th- this this sort of a, it, it adds another layer to things in a way. Yeah, and if you look at if you look at the guys we were targeting at um, defensive midfield, they were all quite versatile. Like Bender can play right back as well. Gustavo could play centre back and left back, and Flamini does does kind of a similar job. And you you only have to look at the fact that you know currently we're in four competitions. Arteta's a guy who's 30, 31. Flamini's going to get a lot of minutes, even if Arteta doesn't have another serious injury just because you're going to need to rotate in and out for, for the sake of tiredness. So, I mean, the, the only kind of nagging thing at the back of my mind is you go down the squad list and there's, there's still a few guys in there where you, where you say for relatively, for relatively sensible money, you could get significant upgrades on and Messrs, Bentner and Parker kind of the, the, the really obvious ones. Um, so there's still, there's still work to do. Um, but, but yeah, I, I'm really pleased about Flamini. I, I'd have been even more pleased if it was a couple of years ago. At that point, I was biting your hands off to to get him back. But like I said to someone else, I think if if it wasn't Flamini and he didn't have the baggage, if someone said to you, "Well, we're bringing in a 29-year-old from Milan who's figured reasonably reasonably well in the in the, the season they won the Scudetto," people would be people would be just I think happy with it. The problem was the timing, wasn't it? Because it arrived at a point where. The, the, the lack of marquee was a uh, was fairly substantial. There was some talk that it, it was going to be delayed until they got the marquee yeah. signing, and yeah. that, that that clearly was happening, and we didn't get the marquee signing in time. So it's, hang on a minute, I need him registered for this game. Tell everybody he's joined us. Well, the, the marquee signing was, you know, was at the training ground three weeks before he wasn't there at all, having pictures taken that weren't taken, apparently. <laughs> I, I read that somewhere. I don't quite know. Uh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this up very quickly. Um, man from East Lower, I'm going to start with you uh, and just sort of uh, take you back to two weeks ago uh, and your sort of overall grading of the squad. And now, you know, is there a huge difference in, in how you view things? Yeah, I think there is. I mean, I, I I wouldn't say there's a huge difference in how I view our prospects so much because I still think we're probably some way away from uh, being exactly where we want to be. But I think in the perception of the squad and the signing of Ozil, I think uh, it's kind of it's much more upbeat than it was then. Way, way, way more. And the way we're playing too helps. So I'm I'm a hell of a lot more confident now than I was then. Um, whether that will translate to Silverware. I mean, it's just too early to say, isn't it? It's way, way, way too early to say. Mm. Hollick, what about you? I mean, what are your hopes for the season? You know, I think it's going to be... My feeling is that this could be a much tighter season between all the top teams than it has been. I don't see anyone running away with it. I think that's a fair point. I think there are certainly three sides who you couldn't put a fag paper between allegedly at the top. I think underneath them, certainly we're going to surprise some people. I hate to say it, that given time to develop, maybe our friends and neighbours will get in the show. I think people are going to take points off everybody else. If we are within seven, eight points of the top come January, and we know we still have some money, and we know now that we're not afraid to invest it in footballers, which is the important thing for everybody, then I don't think this season is a total write-off yet. Uh, Don't get carried away on the back of one major signing that we are suddenly championship material. I don't think we are. But I think if we're there or thereabouts at Christmas, get another player in where we are obviously lacking. Uh, You don't know what's going to happen. Gilberto Silver, your thoughts? I mean, um, it's it's just amazing what one... 42 and a half million pound signing can do to people's mood, isn't it? 
It is fascinating. I mean, I, I personally don't think, I mean, I agree with that it doesn't necessarily raise us into being title challengers immediately. I think there is a distinct top three, and I think that we're probably in the three below that with Spurs and maybe Liverpool. They've started very well. I mean, I might be wrong about that, but I think they could have a good year. But I do think that the rival of Ozil makes me feel much more confident about our chances of coming out top of that trio. Uh, and also, I feel like there's such a positive atmosphere around the club afterwards that you know, if that can somehow be channeled into challenging for silverware, there are other, there's other silverware available. You know, we start a Carling Cup campaign very soon. The FA Cup comes around in January if we can add a bit more breadth to the squad maybe in that month. Um, you know, if we could get top four but a trophy of some description, I do think that would be a, a good season. And I think that that's something that's within target, uh, within range. Tim, one thing I've always sort of said is that, you know, I, I can... I can sort of live without trophies if I if I feel the club is doing everything it can to achieve them and to create a team that can compete for them because you know at the end of the day it's sport and it's it's you know it's unpredictable and anything can happen as we've seen teams that have won trophies and we know you know how, how that goes in in certain finals and, and what have you but the Ozil signing is perhaps the first step you know one of the reasons why people are beginning to feel a bit more upbeat is because it is. Uh, the club doing more than it has to make this team really competitive. I, I, I absolutely agree, and the brutal reality is that before uh, before he came in, as, as upbeat as I was about the signing, uh, sorry, as upbeat as I was about the result against Spurs, there were, if he hadn't have arrived, part of me would have felt like some sense of chore about going to all the the home games the rest of the season because I would have felt completely locked into that battle for fourth and, and, and no more and even if even if it transpires we are still locked into the battle for fourth which may be so like at least I'm going to see something new and at least I feel like the club as you said has, has done something significant it, in order to try and reel in the teams that are ahead of it and I think like Hollick said it, we can't be sure like how he'll adjust but if he's anything like the player he has been in Madrid we could click in kind of an incredible way. Like that team in 2007 and 8 felt like that was a, a set of components that suddenly kind of clicked. And it was only really the Van Persie injury, I think, that, that more than even the Eduardo stuff later on in the season. But if Van Persie stays fit that season, I think you win the league at, at relative canter. Mm. So I'm not predicting that. But I, I do think, think now that we go out there as a team that people will fear. And they will fear playing Arsenal. And that's what I fucking missed. All right. Well, look, that seems a, a good point to leave it on. Uh, I hope they all fucking fear us, and let's hope we uh, let's hope we cunt the rest of them right in their <laughs> bastards as well. Tim uh, from Ars Domatis, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Gilberto Silver from Gunnerblog, thank you. Cheers. The man from East Lower, thank you very much indeed. Not at all. Thank you. And Holic, as always, thank you very much. Thank you all of you. Um, thank you all for watching. Apologies once again that you've had to stare at my fucking stupid head for the last hour. Uh, but I hope the chat was worth it. We'll, uh, we'll chat to you again soon. Until next time, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. See ya. Hello there, I'm McBenall, and I am, whether you like it or not, the greatest striker that ever lived. Thought you were getting rid of me, what? Thought I was going somewhere else. Thought I would be involved in a transfer. But now, I decide what happens to McBenall. Nobody else. Me. Oi. Yo. Do you know who tried to tell me what to do once? Harvey Keitel. Harvey fucking Keitel. What? Thinking he's the big man because he gets his ass out in an Oscar winning film. What? 
What do you think he's on about? Telling me? What I should do with my career? Who the fuck are you? I said. Genuinely, I had no idea. Wasn't till afterwards somebody explained to me who he was. Fucking bad lieutenant, what? Big fucking piano arse on him. Fuck off, I said. Crystal Palace in Holloway. All a smoke screen. All a smoke screen. I'm here. Here until next summer. You'd better get used to it. It's a different McBanner now. A different McBanner.